invite you to please turn in your copy of Scripture to our text for this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 3, as we continue our series in the book of Hebrews. And there we read, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Many of us are familiar with the story of Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. We recently had a Sunday school class in which we read through the book together. We know that story is an allegory about a man named Christian and his journey to the celestial city. And on his journey to the celestial city, he encounters obstacles. He encounters people that try to hinder and to discourage him from completing his journey. But on his journey, he also, we know, encounters joys and encouraging people that encourage him to press on, to, to, to move on, to progress. And all in all, throughout the story, we see that Christian is a pilgrim who is progressing, who is maturing. He is moving forward in his journey. There are times when he's tempted to turn back, to regress, but as he progresses, he gains new insights, new joys. He matures in his faith. And Christian's story in Pilgrim's Progress is an insight. It's an allegory into the believer's life because all who profess faith in Christ are pilgrims. We are pilgrims on a journey, on a journey through this wilderness of sin to the celestial city. And the idea, loved ones, is that on this journey we are progressing. We are moving forward. We are maturing. We are doing so as we learn new insights, as we build upon the foundation of the gospel that we have all heard, the foundation that has been laid. And in the same way, in the same way the writer to the Hebrews wants to teach the Hebrews new insights, new glories. He wants to teach deeper joys about Christ and his ministry as our great high priest. He's already, we know in this section of the book of Hebrews, he's already begun explaining why Christ is superior to the older covenant priesthood. He's already begun explaining the glories of Christ's priesthood. We saw there in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, that Christ is superior to the older covenant priesthood because he is the one who is risen and ascended. He is the one that has passed through the heavens and he 
is the one who now sits at God's right hand where he ministers and intercedes for us in the heavenly temple in the new Jerusalem. And not only that, but we see in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5 through 6, that Christ is superior because he was appointed in eternity. He was appointed before creation. He is the one who is eternally begotten. He is the one who is a priest forever. And then in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 through 9, we saw that Christ is superior as our great high priest because he is the one who showed perfect covenant obedience. He is the one who, in that eternal covenant between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, agreed to fulfill all the requirements necessary for our salvation. That he is the one who lived the perfect life, who in his death bore the curse of our sin, perfectly obedient to the end. And by that, he has become the source of eternal salvation for his people. What wonderful insights into the priesthood of the Lord Jesus. And the writer to the Hebrews says, I want to tell you more. There's even more to be said. There's, there's more to be I want to, he says, turn the globe more and show you more aspects of Christ's glory as our great high priest. But he says, I can't. He's, he's hesitant to do so. Why? When we read that he's hesitant to take them deeper because of their spiritual condition, a spiritual condition that we see he diagnoses in verse 11. As we consider our first point, the condition of the Hebrews and perhaps of some of us this morning. We see in verse 11 that the diagnosis of the Hebrews' spiritual condition is that they have become dull of hearing. We read in verse 11, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, why is it hard to explain? Well, it's here we see, and it's important to note this, that it's not hard to explain because the Hebrews have a low IQ. He's not saying, you guys are dummies. I want to I give you some great insights, but it'll just go right over your head. He's not making fun of their IQs. And it's not hard to explain because the writer is unclear in his thinking and the subject is too complex. That's, that's also not the case here. Some of us who have been students, you know how hard it can be sometimes when you're writing a paper and you're trying to express your thoughts into words and you're just having a hard time. It's writer's block, right? And it's even worse when the paper is due in two hours, right? And you just started an hour ago, right? And you're, just, you're trying to get it. It's, I can't get it down on paper. It's not that hard to explain in that sense. But it's hard to explain, he says, because they have become dull of hearing. This phrase, dull of hearing, it describes lethargy. It describes slothfulness, uh, carelessness. Uh, What they've begun to do is they've begun, we see, to slack off. And their laziness has affected their attentiveness and their ability to hear, their ability to understand and to apply 
Christian truth as it's revealed uh, to them through the Word of God. This idea of being dull of hearing in the ancient world was used to describe a slave with ears stopped up by laziness, a slave who was not instantly obedient to the call of his master. It was a slave that was known as one who was dull of hearing. And in sports, in the ancient world, it also, this idea of being dull, this phrase was used to describe an athlete who was out of shape or lazy. And notice that the writer says the Hebrews have become dull of hearing. The laziness and the carelessness that they're currently exhibiting isn't new. It's recent. They, they weren't always like this. Seems as though when they first heard the gospel, they listened with attention. They paid attention. They were careful. They believed. But now, over time, they have become slothful. They have become sluggish. They have become dull of hearing. And in their dullness, we see they have also become immature in their faith. Their dullness has led to their immaturity in the faith. We read in verses 12 and 13 about their immaturity. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Now, when the writer says that by this time you ought to be teachers, He doesn't mean that you all should be pastors and scholars in the faith, but he's saying that, you know, by this time, Hebrews, you should be familiar enough with the gospel. You should be advanced enough in your faith that you are able to instruct others in the faith. They should have an understanding of basic Christian doctrine such that they would be able to teach others the basics of the Christian faith that the parents in the church should be able to instruct their children, that those in the church should be able to tell their neighbors and explain the gospel and perhaps explain the deeper truths of the faith uh, to those that they meet uh, in the public square. They weren't able to do this. We see instead the problem is that their dullness of hearing has led to their immaturity. Instead of growing to become teachers, they need someone to teach them again. Look at verse 12. Again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. Literally, the ABCs of the Christian faith. Um, And some of those ABCs, the basics are listed there in chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. There we read, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgments. Now, the list he gives here summarizes some of the basic teachings of the apostles in the book of Acts. As we know, the apostles began preaching to the Jews and Gentiles and showing especially in their preaching how Jesus is the Christ, how Jesus is the sum and substance of all of the older covenant promises. We know, for example, when Peter preached uh, at Pentecost, 
in Acts chapter 2 that the point of Peter's preaching was Jesus, that Jesus of Nazareth is Christ the Lord, that Jesus of Nazareth is the one in whom the Scriptures find their fulfillment, in whose death and resurrection was evidence of, of God's plan of redemption. And he is the one who will come again to judge both the living and the dead. That was the emphasis of the apostles' preaching. This gospel is summarized. The ABCs of the faith are summarized here. And he says, rather than building upon this foundation and seeking further instruction in the faith, growing to maturity, we see instead that the Hebrews have become dull of hearing. They've become immature. And they are losing even the foundation that has been laid. They needed to be taught again, that repetitive word, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. And with these words now, the author gets very visual about how immature the Hebrews are. As he says, they should be more mature in their faith because they are acting like immature children. He says there in verse 12, look at the visuals that he gives. You need milk, not solid food. Why? Why does he use this visual? Well, it's because milk, we know, is the only thing suitable for uh, their level of understanding, just like milk is the only thing suitable for a baby. Milk representing here the very basic teachings of the Christian faith. Milk is what infants need during the first few months of life. And we know milk, in fact, is the only thing that an infant can handle. That's what they need. That's what they can handle. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Philip Hughes, in his commentary, describes the Hebrews this way. He says, to go on living on milk, mere baby food, is indicative of arrested development. And the recipients of this letter have evidently failed to advance beyond or have relapsed and regressed into a state of spiritual infancy. Instead of being strong And well-developed, they are weaklings in the faith. So what the writer is getting at is that there is expectation of growth and maturity. In the Christian life, there is expectation, each of us, of moving from milk to meat, from infancy to maturity. There is expectation of progress, of growth, of maturity. So often we see that the Christian life is is described as a living life. It's described as as a seed that grows up into a plant. It's described as a child that grows up into adulthood. There is movement, there is growth, there is maturity. There is not regression and movement toward immaturity. There is expectation of growth and of maturity, of moving from milk to meat, from the elementary to the more advanced understanding of the whole counsel of God. 
friend of mine with uh, three boys, he told me that he was shocked by how much their restaurant bills increased when his boys hit uh, their teen years. He said it used to be that his family would go to restaurants and he would ask his boys, uh, what do you want from the kids' menu? Right? It was usually chicken fingers, cheese pizza, mac and cheese. He said, but once they hit their teen years, that growth spurt, they began maturing. Uh, I was no longer wanting to go to the kids' menu. Uh, I don't want mac and cheese, Dad. I want uh, filet and lobster tail, right? I don't want that baby stuff anymore. I want mature food, adult food. I want to be sustained by something more substantive. See, growth and maturity means moving to a more substantive diet. But the Hebrews, we see, are not maturing. They're not growing. And they seem, in fact, to be losing even the very basics of the gospel, the foundation laid by the apostles. This is a very similar situation to the church in Corinth. We know that when the apostle Paul wrote to them, he was upset with them about many things. They had all kinds of problems There's spiritual immaturity amongst the members and amongst the leadership. And the Apostle Paul uses the same kind of language to describe their struggles. We read in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 2. It says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. So as we look at this, we can, in a sense, summarize the problem of the Hebrews' lethargy and immaturity with the fact that they are perpetual infants in the faith. The Hebrews are part of the church. They would identify themselves as Christians. They attend services and meetings together. But all in all, you see that they don't have a good understanding of their faith. Rather than being pilgrims who are progressing, they are pilgrims who are regressing, moving toward immaturity rather than toward maturity. And so we should ask at this point, what's the big deal? Why is the author, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why is the author being so harsh? Why is he you treating them in this way seems to be kind of mean. What we need to see here, loved ones, in order to answer that question, is we need to see here the connection between the Hebrews' immature faith and their temptation to leave Christ and return to the older covenant administration. We need to see that very clear connection. They were being tempted, remember, to leave Christ and return to the Older Covenant administration. And when I say the Older Covenant, I'm referring to the system of sacrifices and offerings and priests and ceremonial and civil laws that characterize the Old Testament. Basically, everything that was revealed to Israel before Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. And so the Hebrews, they're tempted to return to this Older Covenant system, This older covenant administration, it was what they were familiar with. It was what they had been raised with. 
It was safe because they would no longer be persecuted by other Jews. And see, because they had become dull of hearing, and because they had regressed and become immature in their faith, the temptation to leave Christ, to forsake Christ, was that much greater. Their understanding of the Christian faith was shallow. And a shallow understanding can rarely weather the storms that come with opposition, the storms of life that come as a result of persecution and suffering and rejection by the world and sometimes even by loved ones. And see, the author in this context, therefore, is writing. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's exhorting the Hebrews. He's encouraging the Hebrews to grow in their faith, to grow in their discernment, to build upon the foundation that has been laid, to grow in their understanding of Christ, not to regress, but to progress, to move onward, upward, to grow, to mature, to study, to wonder, to press on. That was the application to the Hebrews and loved ones. It's the same application for us this morning. It's the same application for us as the Holy Spirit speaks to us through this same word. And we'll consider the application for for ourselves this morning in the second point as we read about the remedy, the remedy prescribed for us in chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. And I'll begin reading actually at chapter 5, verse 14. There we read, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. The remedy the Holy Spirit gives to the Hebrews and to us this morning is to stand firmly upon the gospel and to build our lives on it. To build our understanding of God through the study of his word, through prayer, through fellowship, through worship on the Lord's day, to move on to maturity. A mature Christian is the one who can handle solid food, the one who can handle advanced teachings of the faith. This, he says, can be, is done through constant practice, as we see in verse 14. It's interesting because as you look at that phrase, constant practice, it's again an athletic term. Whereas in verse chapter 4, verse 11, dull was used to describe an athlete that is out of shape and lazy. Here, constant practice refers to a serious athlete, a serious athlete who trains to always be prepared for his event, for her event. So what we see here is that the mature Christian, by developing his understanding through constant practice, can face with endurance the challenges of life, the difficulties of life. The mature Christian is able to distinguish good from evil, to distinguish right doctrine from false doctrine, to make God-honoring choices, and to seek the things that please, and that honor God. 
They are not tossed about by every false teaching they encounter. This maturity is described several places in the Bible. Here are just a few examples. We read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. There the apostle Paul writes, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. How does Paul there describe maturity? There's one who is firm in the faith, not swayed by false doctrine. We also read the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. And there the Lord says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. That's how the Lord Jesus describes Christian maturity, the one who hears and does and builds his life upon the rock that is Christ. And we read also the words of Psalm chapter 1 that describes the man and the woman who walks according to God's revealed will. Now we read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. This is a maturity, loved ones. This is a maturity that comes from understanding God's revealed truth. It comes from understanding the gospel, clinging to Christ and growing in faith and in the knowledge of of him. It is a maturity that is characterized by steadfastness, by conviction, one that is not easily shaken by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. What, we might ask this morning, what does this kind of maturity look like for some of us here at Grace? For you children this morning, This kind of maturity might look like you pursuing, making a public profession of faith. You hear the gospel preached at home by your parents and at your church by the Sunday school teachers and by me, your pastor. And maturity for you might look like now seeking deeper understanding, seeking to profess Christ publicly and standing on the promises of your baptism. And for those of you who are in your teens and 20s this morning, maturity in the faith might look like steadfastness in the face of the militant opposition that we face in our culture, opposition to our Christian faith, so that when you hear a non-Christian teacher 
professor or friend say something that seems to contradict the word of God, you're not quickly shaken. You're not easily discouraged. But instead, you are deeply rooted on Christ and his word. You are a mature Christian that is standing upon the rock that is Christ. And for those of you who are elderly in our church, Christian maturity might look like facing these later years of life, years that so often involve illness and fatigue, with the joy of knowing that God is with you always, that you can sing with peace and understanding, that you can study God's word with with trust, building your life upon Christ even in and through your later years. As we think about what Christian maturity looks like, there are two dangers that we need to avoid. Two dangers that I thought of and that you may be able to think of more, but one that comes to mind is the danger of pride, of reading these verses from Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 and thinking, you know, uh, these verses and this idea of immaturity is for other Christians. I'm Reformed. I have all the answers. I have Scripture. I have the Catechism. I have the Confession. Uh, I have Calvin, right? Can't go wrong. Uh, I know it all. There's nothing for me to learn. There's no more maturity for me to seek after. Loved ones, I remind you this morning about the humility of one of the greatest saints, the Apostle Paul. Paul, who said that I press on. Paul, who said of himself, not that I've already obtained it, but I press on. I go on. I seek maturity. I seek growth. I seek to learn more and more of Christ. One of the dangers is pride. And another danger can also be discouragement. Discouragement. As we think about what Christian maturity looks like, as we consider this invitation by the Lord to grow in our faith and understanding, there can be discouragement at times. A feeling that, you know, I'm stuck. I keep trying, but it seems like I'm not growing. And that is often a result of being too self-focused, too much introspection, being more focused on self instead of focused upon Christ. The writer of the Hebrews is going to say later in the epistle that we must be those who look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We run, we seek, we study, we strive to grow in Christian maturity, always looking to Christ, not to ourselves, not to our own performance, but to him who ran for us and completed the race for us. Loved ones, all of us are to be pilgrims that progress by the grace of Christ, knowing that the Holy Spirit is working within us. So then we are pilgrims who progress and do not regress. And it's significant to note, as we consider these verses, to note that this exhortation is not at the beginning of the letter, but it comes in the middle of the letter to the Hebrews. It comes after the truths of the gospel are made clear to the Hebrews and to us. It's significant that the writer 
as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doesn't start the letter by saying, you all are babies, now you need to grow up. But he very carefully begins by laying the firm foundation that is Christ, by explaining the glories of Christ, the Son of God, the one who is eternal, the one who is co-equal with the Father and with the Spirit, the one who became incarnate, who lived a perfect life of obedience, who bore our sins in his body on the tree. And he is the one who earned salvation and the one who, in whom we are now found, not in Adam, but in Christ. And so salvation now is not based on our performance, but on Christ's performance, on his merits alone. And so now having been saved by grace, And united to Christ by faith, the exhortation, the invitation, the encouragement is that we might grow up in him as the Holy Spirit works in our lives to bring us to full maturity. And this we will do, loved ones, if God permits. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we pray that our love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on causing us to grow in knowledge and understanding, and that we might be those who understand what really matters so that you may cause us to live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would fill us with the fruit of your salvation, with the righteous character produced by the Holy Spirit's application of Christ's benefits. For we know that this will bring you much glory and praise. Cause us, O Lord, to no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but to be those who stand upon the solid rock that is Christ. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.